I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things before we jump into um, kind of picking up where we left off last week. Um, if, uh, if you got the, the Sunday blurb, the email this morning, um, then uh, I wanted to just kind of ask a couple of questions based on that. I'll read a portion of it. Um, instead of using the chat feature, are you familiar with, uh, with using the reactions down there at the bottom? You have an option of clapping or a thumbs up. I'm glad that you do not have an option for a thumbs down. Uh, just I'm thankful for that. But uh, if you could, uh, yeah, if you can find that, give me a thumbs up. All right. And um, if you are impressed that Doug was able to find it, go ahead and do a clap. Yeah, yeah, who knows? <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, uh, so here's a um, couple of questions for you. Like I said, use the thumbs up if, if this is you. Um, uh, if you immediately, let's say you get uh, some mail that's addressed to current resident, uh, give me a thumbs up if you immediately toss that into the trash. Yeah, you don't bother opening it. Yeah, some of you, it's killing you though. You got to know, you got to know. All right, um, question two, um, give me a thumbs up. If you were the type person who would attempt to assemble IKEA furniture without the aid of the instructions, no, I, I wouldn't even begin to try it. Some of you, way to go! Um, I just I'm marking who is saying thumbs up on this because if I go over to your house, I'm not sitting on your furniture. <laughs> I don't I don't trust you. All right. Um, <laughs> All right, one more. Um, let's see here. Keep let me tab over to the right one here. Um, and then I, I don't know who first said that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But if you think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, give me a thumbs up. Okay. All right. How many of you are like me who who thinks that whatever the next meal is is the most important meal? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever it is that's next, that is the most important to me. Um, so this word important can kind of uh, get overused. Um, if, if, if it's male that says it's just a current resident, but it's marked important, really, how important is it, for example? Um, so we're in this series called Important. Uh, we have an official series logo uh, that makes it a sermon series when you have a graphic. And uh, so Jonathan's going to pull that up. But uh, so we, we're in this series called Important. And what, um, what I want to draw attention to is what Jesus says is important. And my guess is that what he says is important is something that every one of us is going to agree to. I mean, I, I don't know too many of us that are going to want to argue with Jesus, but let's be reminded of what Jesus said. And it's recorded um, by uh, multiple gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to read from Mark 12, beginning in verse 28. And one of the teachers of the law <clears throat> came and heard them debating, and he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, and I think uh, from last week we talked about there were, there were over 600 commandments. He asked Jesus of all the commandments, which is the most 
important. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I got to kind of relating them to the questions that I was asking uh, just a moment ago for a thumbs up. I am your average current resident here on earth who needs to be reminded that loving God is a message that Jesus addressed to me personally. It's important for me to pay attention to that. Uh, my life often feels like a bunch of pre-assembled Ikea parts strewn about on the carpet, scattered and random disconnected, but I've learned that I am most put together and whole when loving God with all that I am. And with so many people and things vying for my love, I can easily forget that a quiet moment with God is the most important meal of my day. There is nothing more nourishing to my soul than that. So this morning, let's consider not just that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. But I want us to think about how do we do that? Um, because can we agree that kind of sounds a little overwhelming? Um, I mean, that's a lot. All of our heart, all of our mind, all of our body, all of our soul. I mean, where do you start? And so I want us to talk about that. I Yesterday, I drove down to San Jose to a friend of mine's house where my 71 Ford truck has been sitting for a long time as we've been slowly working on it. And I met with a group of guys to kind of look over what we're going to be doing next. And um, it needs so much. And so like we've, we've got the hood off of my truck and picture me and three other guys staring into the engine compartment of my truck with no engine, just wires. And one of the guys said, wow, I look at this project and it's overwhelming. And I quickly agreed, but one of the guys that um, he's kind of a professional when it comes to uh, fixing and restoring vehicles, his name's Pat. Pat said, well, I mean, it's real easy. We're just going to just do it one, one little bit at a time. And he described how the process was going to take place. And uh, I was partly relieved because there is a process. And I was really relieved knowing that he was going to be the one primarily responsible for that process. But when I think of loving God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, it's like sometimes I look at myself and I just see this cavernous emptiness and I'm like, where am I supposed to start with this? But what I want us to see is that this is a, a process that's actually very understandable. Now, I want to emphasize process. We don't go from not loving God at all to suddenly overnight loving him with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. Now, that may have been what you expected, when you first surrendered your will to God and invited Jesus into your heart. Um, but we kind of go through a process. Now, um, so, so we've got this new tier system that Governor Newsom has, has recently shared with us in Californians, Californians where um, we start off in the purple section, which is where all of us are. And it's, it's, it means like you're not healthy and um, there's a lot of restrictions. So 
are, am I saying that we're like in this process that we start off in a purple section and we kind of slowly make our way through red and orange and eventually to yellow where we experience these freedoms? Yes and no. I mean, it is a process, um, but God is not judging us as harshly as we might think. I, it, I, I find it ironic that um, they chose a color of purple. They chose a color of bruising to illustrate where we are right now in our county because it feels like we're getting beat up right now, doesn't it? And so what does this look like? Are we, you know, are we in a healthy widespread contagion of sin, according to God? And um, when is it that love finally outweighs the amount of our sins and we, uh, we make it into the yellow range? Well, I do want us to understand that we progress in stages, but it's not that we're being judged in that way. Um, what I'm saying is that we partner with God and we work together with him in order that every dimension of our lives lovingly commits to God. Now, what are those dimensions of our lives? That's what we talked about last week. It's our heart and our mind and our body and our soul that holds all those dimensions together. More on that in just a minute. But there is a there's a phrase for this process of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that, that process is called spiritual formation. Uh, for some of us, that's a phrase that we've, we've heard frequently. For others, it may be new. It could be uh, confusing in, in many ways. What, act, what does this mean, spiritual formation? The work of spiritual formation is the process by which all these essential dimensions are formed in a way that results in a love of God and a love of neighbor. Spiritual formation addresses the whole person. It's not just your spiritual, religious, or church attending person, self. Um, it's, it's the whole of your person, your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, and even, as we're going to look at more next week, the social context um, as we love our neighbors. And spiritual formation is not some mysterious, otherworldly, out-of-body experience. It's actually very understandable, this process is. And with intelligent attention and consistent practices infused by the work of the Holy Spirit, current residents like me and you can become whole persons who dearly love God and our neighbors. This is doable, okay? Um, Jesus is not only the one who renovates our heart when we ask him in, uh, but he is, he is the inhabitor. Jesus renovates us, but he doesn't just move on and leave the rest up to us. It's not like he says, okay, now you're saved and figure out how to love me and your neighbor. Um, see, Jesus renovates and he also inhabits. He's not like someone flipping a house who seeks to make things kind of look good for a quick and lucrative sale. Uh, Jesus is renovating your life because that's where he's going to reside. We don't have to call on a renovator when things go wrong. The renovator is in us. And so there is just this ongoing work of love that he is doing in us um, that grows us. So uh, let me review the dimensions that make up yourself. We talked about this last week. You can listen to last week's podcast for a fuller explanation. Uh, so we're going to review each of these dimensions just quickly, but I also want to talk about how we can grow our love for God. What are ways that we specifically engage in that spiritual formation process so that we love God with ever-increasing amounts of our heart, mind, body, and soul? 
So the heart, Jesus says that that's a dimension of ourselves, that we are to love the Father with all of our heart. And the heart, as referred to in the Bible, and, and what was understood by the Hebrew people who uh, were hearing this at the time, uh, that it does not refer to emotions or feelings. That's typically what we think of when we think of heart, wearing our heart, our emotions on our sleeve. But what is what Jesus is talking about here, the heart in biblical literature refers to your will. It's the choices you make. It's your de executive decision maker. Now, to be sure, your heart, my heart, has already been formed. The question is who or what has been the primary influence on forming our hearts? My outlook, my choices, my action always come from my heart. So the question is who or what has most formed my heart up to this point in my life? And the next question, and this is really the bigger question, will I allow God and his grace to transform my heart, to transform my choices now and into the future. When God is the primary shaper of my heart, it's an inner transformation that directly affects my outlook and my choices and my actions. Proverbs 4.23, uh, it's the verse that we, we looked at briefly last week. And I'm going to go ahead and put that in the chat section for those of you that are able to catch that. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, guard that um, executive decision-making center, guard your will, for everything you do flows from it. From that executive center, the center of decision-making flows everything that you say and do. Your outlook on life, your choices in life, your actions in life all come from your heart. So how do we guard our heart? Because your first thought might be, well, I'm just going to keep it completely to myself. Um, but what this is talking about is carefully choosing what we allow or do not allow into our mind. We actually guard our heart, our will, by what we allow into our mind. Again, reaching back to last week, our mind includes our thoughts and feelings. So we guard the choices that we make by first filtering the thoughts and the feelings that we allow to impact us. And, and thoughts are not merely like information and facts, but it also includes ideas and images. To guard your heart is to choose wisely what you choose to think about, the ideas that you dwell on, the images that you continually bring to the forefront of your mind. All of these things will shape your mind and will also dictate your will and the choices that you make. Speaking of our thoughts and our mind, Philippians 4.8, we read that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the type of thing that we, if we're going to guard our heart, these are the type of things that we want to um, that we want to be thinking about. These are the ideas that we want to have in front of us at all times. That's Philippians four eight. Might be a great verse uh, to write down and to carry with you and to commit to memory. Um, 
So when we think about these things that Paul listed, it's kind of like a filter that purifies the water that's poured into our heart and will. Um, right now, Kevin and Lori are embarking on a, like a five or six day camping trip, uh, primitive camping, where they won't take gallons of water with them. They'll take a filtration system and they'll filter water from the streams and the, and the lakes that they come along when they're, when they're hiking. Uh, I did one time, I did some primitive camping for four days and three nights. We hiked about 10 miles to get to our site and a hike for that long. We didn't want to carry all the water with us. We couldn't have, I don't think. And uh, so we, we used one of those lightweight filtration systems, similar to what I'm sure um, Kevin and Lori are using. And we drank water from, from lakes, which is crazy to me that our drinking water after it was filtered um, from a lake, it, it amazed me how transformed the lake water became once it was filtered. So I want us to think about that, how um, our heart, our will is guarded when we filter God's, uh, our minds uh, through our thoughts, through God's word. Um, we will intentionally as a church family um, and this is really going to be a big emphasis, especially as we round the corner after Labor Day and through um, up through Advent and into 2021. We are going to very intentionally filter our minds through Scripture. We are going to let Scripture wash over our thoughts to, uh, to reshape our feelings and um, significant and, and consistent amounts of water. It's just like um, if you wanted to take a shower, you wouldn't stand under um, one drop at a time. If you really wanted to get clean, you need a shower of water on you. And so that's what we're going to do with Scripture. We're going to shower our minds, our thoughts um, with Scripture, and uh, it will guard our hearts. I believe that we can saturate our thoughts with Scripture to the point that our will naturally desires what God wills. Let me say that again, that we can saturate our thoughts with scripture to the point that we will naturally desire what God wills, that we will, the, the easiest and most common sense choice for us to make is what God says is beautiful and good and true. So beginning on Sunday, September 13th, that's a couple weeks from today, it's the Sunday after Labor Day. We will begin filtering our thoughts specifically with the book of Colossians. It's just four chapters, uh, but we're going to really marinate our, our minds in that book. Uh, on Sundays, we will read portions of Colossians and we'll study it, examine it, apply it. Um, but during the week, uh, I also want you to be thinking about Colossians. And what we have is a, an eight-week devotional commentary that you can use as a resource. You can use it for yourself personally. It'll be a collection of essays that uh, just kind of short stories that will help you understand um, what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Colossians. Uh, there'll be some, some reflection points. And then there will also be some questions uh, for you and faith communities, or if you want to jump in with a faith community or start one, this is going to be a way for you to use that resource um, to guide your discussions. Um, the book is called Uncommonville, Moving On From Normal. Um, I wrote this book in 2014, and uh, I still have several copies left over. 
Uh, now you can interpret that however you want. When someone writes a book and they have a bunch of copies left over, that may indicate something about the quality of the writing. Um, so <laughs> I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, but I wrote it back in 2014 and I have, um, I have some hard copies that I can make available to you. I would, if we were meeting in the auditorium, I'd have them, I'd have a stack of them next to me right now that you could get. Uh, what I'll do in uh, upcoming days is make them available um, on the porch at the student center. You can come by and, and grab one, but I also have it in a PDF format. So you could download it, you could read it off of your phone, off of your computer, uh, your tablet. Uh, but we will we will use that. It's divided into eight weeks that will coincide with the eight weeks of our series on Sunday. And I pray that that will be a way that our minds are renewed through the washing of Scripture. So here's your, your action step this week. I want to encourage you to begin to filter Scripture through your mind throughout the day and throughout the week, just in case. You need this reminder. I'm going to put it in the chat feature. Um, your action step, my action step for this week is to begin to filter scripture or continue to filter scripture through your mind, through your thoughts, and even through your feelings, through your ideas, throughout the day and throughout the week. Why is this a big deal? Because filtering our minds with scripture is actually how we go about growing as disciples, which is a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus said for us to go and make disciples. He said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. To obey everything Jesus commanded. This again makes me feel like I'm, I'm surrounded um, I'm surrounding the empty engine compartment of my truck thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. I'm to obey everything Jesus commanded. Making disciples is helping people grow in such a way that the most natural thing for them to do is to respond with the character of Christ in every situation. So what are we supposed to be doing as a church? If you go to um, 20 church websites, you will get 20 different mission statements. And, and certainly there are unique um, and specific ways that we can word this. But let me just kind of in general sum up, what has God placed Bay Marin and Bay Marin? Uh, what has what God placed Bay Marin and Marin to do? What has he placed us in Marin to be? I know this is going to sound general and even kind of Christian-y, but we're, we're called to make disciples. When we make disciples... Our ultimate aim is to teach people how to do everything Jesus said and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded them. That's what Jesus said. Now, you might immediately think, that's, that's really difficult to do everything Jesus said. But what if I said it was easy? What if I said if it was easy when we have been transformed to love God with all of our heart and mind? Maybe it's easy to do what Jesus said when we love God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. It becomes the most natural thing for us to choose to do what he said. As people, we open our will, our thoughts, and our feelings to be immersed and saturated with Scripture 
so that the most natural thing for us to do is everything Jesus said. So our mission, so to speak, is to teach people how to do everything Jesus said. Um, that is something that I first heard Dallas Willard challenge me with. What if your mission was to teach people how to do everything Jesus said? And so to make disciples is simply to reshape a person's character, to be like the character of Jesus so that they do those things that Jesus said. Now, let me kind of press pause here because um, we get hung up in this process. Um, I want you to think about what Jesus did in the Gospels. <clears throat> think about the miracles that he performed. And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus instantly healed physical bodies, but he didn't instantly change people's character. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus instantly healed bodies, but he didn't instantly change someone's character. I and mean, we read about the dead instantly coming to life, the lame instantly able to walk, the paralyzed instantly free to move about, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dumb speaking, all of that instantly. But let's think about it. When it came to someone like Peter, whose character was proud, and that was kind of exemplified by, by Peter when he said, oh, Jesus, other people may fall away from you, but I will never forsake you. Pretty proud statement. But Jesus didn't instantly heal him of his pride, but he actually allowed the consequences of Peter's future choices later that night to initiate a humbling work in his life. Here's another example. Um, when Jesus met a woman at a well who was trying to fill a God-shaped void with multiple relationships, he didn't shame her but neither did he instantly change her whole life. Instead, he offered her a drink of living water that would, over time, reframe her pursuit of satisfaction. A third example. When Jesus encountered a young ruler who was consumed with materialistic greed, Jesus did not transform his character with a wave of his hand. Okay, now you're, you're no longer greedy. You're no longer selfish. Now you are selfless. No, instead, what Jesus did was he invited this young, rich ruler to participate in a spiritual practice of abstinence that would lead to the transformation, the reshaping of the young man's heart and mind. And Jesus modeled this lifestyle himself. And if we choose to imitate him, it will, over time, reshape our character to be more like his. God inspired various authors of the Bible to give us very helpful instruction as to a process that will renovate and completely transform every dimension of ourselves so that we love him with all that we are and naturally will what he wills. Dallas Willard said the heart renovated and inhabited by Jesus is the only real hope of humanity on earth. I'm going to put that in the chat feature and I'm going to read it again. Um, the heart renovated and inhabited by Jesus is the only real hope of humanity on earth. Our hope 
is not in this next election. Our hope is not in a vaccination. Um, our hope, our only real hope for things like um, social justice, our only real hope for peace is a heart that's renovated and inhabited by Jesus. That's it. That is the only, uh, the only hope for America is when the majority of the hearts of America are renovated and inhabited by Jesus. That's why you and I, those of us who claim to be followers and apprentices of Jesus, you and I have the highest calling. You and I have the most important call, responsibility in the world because the only real hope for our country, the only real hope of humanity on earth is for hearts to be renovated and inhabited by Jesus. And you and I, as we are being renovated and inhabited, we can teach others, we can make disciples, we can help them take on the character of Jesus. That is the hope of this world. Romans 12, biblical example of how, I want us to see how our will and our mind work together. I've already talked about that the, the simple fact that um, we guard our hearts by allowing our minds to be saturated in scripture. But I want us to see how these kind of weave together. Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2. I bet some of you have this memorized, and uh, that's awesome. I am going to put that verse also in the chat feature. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. So that's a dimension of you, your body, you, your physical self, you offer your physical self as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How do you do that? We do that through spiritual practices, such as reading scripture, meditating on scripture. So you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Hold on to that. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. And then he, then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thoughts and feelings. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, then you're going to be able to align your will with God's will. Um, some of you might be aware of this, but I'm kind of reaching back to the part of Romans 12, that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Recent advancements in neurobiology allow us to actually see how the synapse in your brains are literally rewired by what we intentionally and consistently meditate on. So meditating on scripture, thinking on things that are, drawing from Philippians 4, thinking on things that are admirable and trustworthy and peace-giving, those retrain the way you think and feel. It actually um, regrooves the thought processes in your mind. Scientists can actually see this taking place in your brain over time. 
This remapping of how you think and feel interacts with your heart, with what you will, and ultimately how you choose to live. So I want to use, um, we use this song by the Eagles, Take It Easy, um, as a kind of a fun way of considering how our thoughts and feelings um, can be formed in a way that leads to the choices that we make, okay? Maybe you're familiar with the song by the Eagles. Maybe some of these lines that I'm about to quote uh, will, will jar your memory. But again, I want us to, to consider the interplay of thoughts and feelings, which is the mind in this, in this uh, opening verse. And we'll look at the second verse also. Uh, while I'm running down the road, trying to loosen my load, I've got seven women on my mind. Okay, so can we just stop right there? Um, can we agree that any guy with seven women on his mind is headed for a world of trouble? Any guy that has seven women in his thoughts that he has feelings for, um, this, this could end in a really bad way. So I'm running down the road, trying to loosen my load. I've got seven women on my mind. And then he describes four that want to own me, two that want to stone me. One said she's a friend of mine. So, so he's got these different women and he's got different thoughts about different women. And I'm sure he's got different feelings for each of them. Jump ahead to the second verse um, where uh, I was talking to Tom about this earlier. And he said, this is what put Winslow, Arizona on the map. It's a, it's a long route 66, actually. Um, the verse reads, now I'm standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, with such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my Lord, in a flatbed Ford slowing down to take a look at me. Now, I can tell that the girl is uh, that he's talking about has experienced a true transformation in her life because she is driving a Ford. Uh, that's an indicator right there that this is probably a pretty good woman. I don't think this is what um, this person standing on the corner of Winslow, Arizona is thinking though. Um, so if he didn't already have seven women on his mind, I guess now he's got an eighth woman on his mind. So what is the thought and what is the feeling going through his head as he sees this girl in a flatbed, uh, flatbed Ford slowing down to take a look at him? Well, he says in the next verse, come on, baby, don't say maybe. I've got to know if your sweet love is going to save me. He thinks that this girl, or probably a physical relationship with this girl, is going to provide him salvation. And not, not in the go to heaven when I die type of salvation, but that he will be saved from his present troubles. He is thinking that a girl in a flatbed Ford who slowed down to take a look at him is his ticket to satisfaction. And maybe it will keep the wheels of his own troubling thoughts from driving him crazy. Based on those thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings that I'm sure he is turning over and over in his mind, what do you think he wills? What does his heart, the executive decision maker, want to choose? Again, this is why it's so important for you and I to guard our hearts. It's imperative that we filter what we turn over in the way of thoughts and feelings, that we do that through the love of God. And as we do, we are able to, in a moment's notice, when, let's say, guys, unexpectedly, a girl in a flatbed Ford pays attention to you, that you do not merely have to summon the willpower to do the right thing as a married man, 
but you respond <clears throat> in a way that is best summed up as worshipful. Hang with me on this. This is so important. Let's say you followed Romans 12 and you made it a habit to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, which is reasonable as an act of worship. One of the ways you offered your body was to continually fill your thoughts with scripture. And an inner transformation has begun in your life and you no longer are a Christian who hopes to have enough willpower to choose good, but now by God's transforming graces, you have taken on an identity of one who is loving. You don't just do love, you take on the character of love. In other words, you have become a worshiper in all you do and everywhere you go. Even in the most tempting situations, your response is of loving worship. Now, how much would that blow away the world around you? Let's consider some other examples. Um, rather than being a good Christian who chooses to exercise, I want to become a worshiper at the gym. Do you kind of sense the feeling of difference there? Do you, do you get a feeling for the shift that's taking place? Rather than being, and let's just pick a kind of a mundane act that you would do on a weekly basis. Rather than being a Christian who goes grocery shopping, what if you became a worshiper buying food? Rather than trying to be a Christian who holds down a good job, what if you became a worshiper in the workplace? Or even this, what if you became a worshiper on Zoom calls at work? Here in our home, my kids need more than a Christian dad. Imagine how much better it is for my kids to see a worshiper in the home, a worshiper who loves their mama, a worshiper who listens when they are hurting and confused, a worshiper who encourages them, a worshiper that they see doing laundry and help them prepare a meal. A worshiper is simply a person loving God with all their heart, all their mind, all their body, and all their soul. And it makes a difference in the choices. It makes a difference in the way that we live out our life. We're going to jump right to a closing song. And this closing song is titled, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Tom and Kat and Lucas are going to lead us in this. And you see, when Jesus invites us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he is inviting us to love the God who loves us with all of his heart, all of his mind, soul, and strength. So let's do that now. Father, uh, we want to not just sing and worship, we want to be worshipers. We want to be so consumed with the love of you that love is what pours out. We want to be so filled with love, so changed by love, that what pours forth in our speech, in our song, and later today in our actions, that it is nothing but pure love. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.